0: Hey, this is David Perkins, pastor of Radiant Church. Thanks so much for checking out our podcast. I hope and I pray that the content helps you grow as a follower of Jesus. We'd love to see you at one of our services on Sundays or maybe at our bold conference this summer. Remember this, those who look to Him are radiant.
1: So I wanna start with a story. Several years ago, I was outside, it was a beautiful Colorado evening, and I was watching my son, who was about two at the time, try to ride a tricycle. And he was really small and his feet weren't very long, and so when the pedals would go down, he couldn't reach the pedals. So he was really struggling. And in this moment, I remember feeling so much joy and so much pride. And my son, I know that sounds kind of sadistic, like I'm a parent who enjoys watching my kids struggle. But I really had this profound sense of joy watching him not give up. And as I was watching him, it was a beautiful night. The sun was cascading off the mountains. It was gorgeous. I sensed in my spirit that God wanted to communicate something to me. So I just quieted myself. And then after a couple minutes, I heard these words, I am love. Now, I have been in church my whole life. I am a PK, which means preacher's kid or pastor's kid. I have heard a few sermons uh, growing up. This is Christianity 101, 1 John 4. We all know God is love. So I'm like, okay, God, that's not very profound. Uh, I've known that for a very long time. Now, I can be kind of stubborn sometimes and hard-headed, and I could tell God just wanted me to be quiet and listen to what he was saying to me. So I was like, okay, all right, great. I'm going to be quiet. And then he would continue to go on to say, I am love, and faith is my love language. I just kind of sat on that. Faith is my love language. And then about 30 seconds later, I said, but God, faith isn't one of Gary Chapman's five love languages. (laughs) That doesn't make any sense. I don't know if y'all have read that book, Five Love Languages. It's a perennial bestseller. But there's five love languages, according to Gary Chapman, and faith is not one of them. And so I was like, God, you're going to have to help me with this. this. This doesn't seem right. And again, I could sense the Holy Spirit just wanted me to be quiet and listen. So I was quiet. I listened. And then a few seconds later, it came to me. Wait, Hebrews eleven six. 6. Without faith, it is impossible to please God. So God, we show you that we love you by our faith in you. And I could tell the Holy Spirit was like, you're, you're kind of on the right track, but you're still missing it because you're making it about what you can understand right now in this moment and that's it and so I was like okay I'm done I'm not guessing anymore I'm just gonna be quiet I I need you to show me what you're trying to communicate to me here because I'm not getting it and then a couple hours later he showed me that faith is how he reveals his love to us it's how he reveals his love to us it's how he reveals his vision for our lives See, when you and then I went back a few verses to Hebrews 11.1. It says, faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. So God, he sees us not just as we are today. He sees us as we could and as we should be. God sent his son to die on the cross before you ever did anything worthy of such an investment. That was the ultimate act of faith. The lamb slain before the foundations of the world was an act of faith of faith, revealing an immense love. And so I started thinking about this. And I was like, you know what, God, if this, is, if this is true, if you really do have this much faith in us, if you really do see us as worthy of such an investment, then, man, you are really patient with us. Because so often we don't look like we're worthy of such an investment. We don't act like we are worthy of such an investment. And God showed me that there is a reason why patience is the first attribute of love. So again, wedding season, there's a 70% chance you're gonna hear 1 Corinthians 13 mentioned during a wedding. So we're gonna go ahead and go to 1 Corinthians 13 so I can show you what I'm talking about here. Verse four, it says, love is patient. Love is patient, but it doesn't stop there. I wanna skip to the end. Verse seven, love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, Endures all things. Love never ends. So, patience really is the alpha and omega quality of love. And God has patience for us because He has vision for us. You only have patience for something that you believe in. If you don't believe in something, you're not going to have patience with it. And I've been wrestling with this idea of patience. I'm like, God, why? Why do you have so much faith? Why do you have so much patience? Why were you willing to make this kind of sacrifice? It says in 2 Peter 3 that God is slow. He's patient because he doesn't want anyone to perish. It talks about how a day with the Lord is like a thousand years. And so it's like, okay, why? Why are you so committed to us? And it's because he sees something in us that we have yet to see in ourselves. And he's committed to bringing that out. And I love, I love the story of uh, in John chapter eight of the woman caught in adultery. And you guys are all probably very familiar with it, but I'm gonna act it out for you today, okay? Is that cool? I'm gonna act it out. So here's the story. Jesus is sitting in the sand. He's gathered the people around him. He's sharing mysteries that have been hidden since the foundations of the world. He's blowing their minds. And then a group of the Pharisees, the religious elite of the day, they bring a woman to him that's been caught in adultery, right? And they're like, hey, what are we supposed to do? Moses says we stone her. What do you say that we're supposed to do? And they're like, we finally caught this Jesus guy. Everyone thinks he's just all about free bread and smiles. We're going to show that he's not, he doesn't have any substance whatsoever. We're going to prove him, prove to the world that he's a farce, that he's nothing. And so they bring this lady in front of him and Jesus doesn't even acknowledge them. He just starts messing in the sand, messing around in the sand, drawing in the sand. And then finally, after they continually ask him, he stands up and he goes, yeah, whichever one of you is without sin, go ahead and throw the first stone. Then he sits back down. He goes back in the sand, starts messing in the sand again. And then the oldest of the group, the ones who are most aware of the internal dissonance, they're like, shoot, we really thought we had a great opportunity to get him and they start dropping their stones, and they start leaving. And then when they've all left, Jesus does something remarkable. He stands to his feet. So these these men, they wanted to judge the woman. They wanted to be her judge. But Jesus, when they were accusing her, refused to stand in judgment. But after they left, he stood to his feet. And the only one who had any right to judge her gave his judgment. And I wanna read what he says. He says, "Woman." Where are they? Has no one condemned you? And she said, no one, Lord. And Jesus said, neither do I condemn you. Go, and from now on, sin no more. I love this. I love that he stayed in the sand until they left. See, they wanted Jesus to condemn her. And the Greek word here for condemn was to condemn with finality, to basically reject her, to give up hope, to give up vision, to say she's done. She's worth nothing. She will never be worth anything. We need to reject her. We need to cast her out. And Jesus stood up and he said, I don't condemn you. But then he did something that was much more difficult, much more penetrating in the heart of the woman than anything that her accusers could bring against her. He looked at her and he said, go and sin no more. Which is a phenomenal statement of faith. So here's a woman who is an adulteress. And yet Jesus tells her, go and sin no more. It would have been easier for her to agree with her accusers. It would have been easier for her to be like, I am an adulteress, and that is what I will always be. But Jesus had the audacity, he had the faith to look at her and say, go and sin no more, thus giving her a new identity. Speaking a new hope, speaking a new promise over her. This is a radical interaction. He was willing to say that because he had patience with her, because he saw a vision in her. Jesus understood the work of his spirit. He understood what was to come. And he knew that this woman could find the power to go and sin no more. Now, we live in a world that demands tolerance. Our world demands tolerance. And I personally believe that the world demands tolerance because we've refused to show it patience. See, a tolerant Jesus, let me show you the difference between a tolerant and a patient Jesus. A tolerant Jesus would have gotten the sand with the woman. If it was the easy thing to do, if it was the politically correct thing to do, if it was the convenient thing to do, but a patient Jesus got in the sand with her, spoke new identity over her, was there with her and said, come with me. I want to show you a new way of being. See, it would have been more cruel for Jesus to rescue her from her accusers and send her away without the, without the empowerment to change. The woman was looking for something in the arms of adultery that she could not find. She was looking for meaning, belonging, a sense of worth. And so if Jesus would have just been like, yeah, hey, you're good. I saved you from them. Just go do you. Then that would have been a denial that she was capable of anything more. But because he is patient, because his grace works in our lives through patience, he could see a future that was greater than her present. And this is what the faith of God does In our lives. This is how His love manifests to us. I love how the Psalms repeatedly talk about this idea of God's steadfast love, his steadfast love, his patient love. You see, the reason why we're scared of this kind of patience is because it requires vision. And whenever there's vision, there's tension. Whenever there's hope, There's tension because vision or hope, they create a disconnect between what is now and what will be. And so many people, they flee from the tension. The tension hasn't been navigated well in the past. Other people haven't explained the tension to them, so they run from it. They deny that there is something more. They deny that God has a vision for their life. They deny that God's empowerment, his grace, his spirit can really transform our lives. And they turn the gospel into a mechanism to make ourselves a slightly better version of what we already are. But God's not in the business of making us slightly better versions. His love is in the business of radical transformation for the sake of purpose that is beyond anything that we can conceptualize here and now. And so what does he have to do? He has to work with us patiently, persistently, And love, never compromising, keeping that vision in front of us. And he uses changes in environments to arrest our attention to the vision that he has for us, the potential that he has for us. When we start to apathy, when we start to become complacent, he shows, no, there's so much more that I have for you. Lean into my work. Lean into the tension. My love is sufficient for you. But the problem is, there's a nasty thing a nasty thing that separates us from experiencing the radical grace of God that can transform our lives. And that nasty thing is pride. See, people say that nothing can separate you from the grace of God, but that's not true. Nothing can separate you from his love. Pride separates us from his grace. First Peter 5 and James 4 both make it clear that God gives grace to the humble, but he opposes the proud. How does he oppose them? He withholds his grace. And see, God, he's calling us into the waters, into the deepers, into the deeper currents of our being. But we will not go there if we continue to refuse to see ourselves the way he sees us in his word, what he has spoken over us in his word. See, the hardest thing for us to lay down at the foot of the cross is our opinion of ourselves. It's so hard for us to be like, you know what, God? okay, I'm going to see myself the way you see me. That is so hard to do. The hardest thing for the woman caught in adultery to do was to view herself in that moment as someone who was capable of going and sinning no more. But God has promised to get into the struggle with us, to lend his patience, to infuse our lives with his faith and his grace. See, I think the challenge is when I, when I talk about love and Maybe even when I first brought it up, you guys were like, oh, great, a sermon about love. We have made love God instead of allowing God to reshape our understanding of love. So when we deify love, we're creating something like Aphrodite, the Greek goddess of love, as opposed to allowing ourselves to encounter Yahweh, the self-sufficient one, the one who has no end and no beginning. That is the mystery of our God. And so when we wrestle with this idea of love and showing love to our world and receiving love from God, we put that in the box of, well, no, this is what conventional love looks like. This is what cultural love looks like. But God is saying, no, my love loves unto purity. My love loves unto wholeness. It is not love if it does not lead you to the restoration of everything that was lost, everything that was stolen from you. It is not love unless it makes you whole. See, he's not in the business of just appeasing the pain. He's in the business of giving the pain purpose and meaning. We are in a broken world. There's no doubt about that. And so there is a lot of pain. There's a lot of hurt. There's a lot of struggle. And God in his redemptive power works patiently in our world, in our circumstances, in our environment to reveal to us the wonders of his love the beauty of his faith, the mystery of his plan for our lives. And his patience, it always brings us into a process. Everyone say process. His patience always brings us into a process. I love how James puts this. He talks about patience having its perfect work so we could be complete, lacking nothing. And this idea of perfection In the Greek, it's teleos. And we really don't have an English word that does it justice. But what it means, it means a perfection that cannot be confined to words. And it's a perfection that only comes through a process. It's not something we can just quickly check off a few boxes. It's perfection that comes with time, with struggle, with a process. And God, he is using these temporal struggles in our lives, where it looks like he's given up on us, where it looks like he's abandoned us. He is using these to forge strength in us, to create patience and steadfastness in us and to reveal the beauty of everything that he sent his son on the cross to die so that we could have. Four years ago, I went through a very traumatic experience and it was one of those moments where I was like, seriously, God, where are you? where are you in this? How is this good? How is this your faithfulness? What is going on? And the matter of a day, my world got turned upside down. I went three days without sleeping. And the third night I was like, I can't sleep. I might as well just go into the office and work because I can't sleep. And I drove into the office. It was 2 a.m. in the morning. And during this time, I had been praying to God, like, God, just tell me that you're still there. Like, tell me that you've got this. And he would give me nothing. I would get no peace. I would get nothing. All I heard was, read Psalm 121. Read Psalm 121. Read Psalm 121. I read Psalm 121 over 40 times in the span of three days. I was so sick of reading Psalm 121. And so I get into my office that morning. It's like 2, 2 2.30 a.m. And God's like, read Psalm 121. And honestly, I want, I'm just being real with y'all. I want to start cussing. That's, that's, that's where I was. I'm like, seriously, God, seriously, this is what you're going to give me. This is what you're going to give me when I'm crying out saying, where is the evidence of your faithfulness? Where is the evidence of your goodness? You're just going to continue to give me Psalm 121. And so I read it again. I knew what it said. I read it again, though. And then 30 minutes later, I got a text message from a friend of mine in Australia. You want to know what he texted me? Psalm 121. <laughs> All eight verses of the chapter. I had not had any conversation with this man in over a year. He had no idea what I was going through. I had not posted anything on social media or anything like that. And I was like, wow. Okay, God, I get it. I, I kind of get it. I'm starting to get it. And then later that day, I was driving home from work, and the Holy Spirit asked me, he said, said, why did you know what Psalm 121 says? Because I have Psalm 121 memorized. And I had to stop and think. I was like, hmm, I don't know why I have Psalm 121 memorized. And then he reminded me that when I was in third grade, I was in a speech competition. Nine years old, speech competition. And what I memorized for the speech competition was Psalm 121. And God's Spirit showed me that when I was a nine-year-old kid, Third grader, I had no no idea what I was gonna be going through later in life. God put things in my heart and in my life that I would need when I was 27. Things in my heart that would reshape my life when I was 27. Now, the next 18 months, two years after that incident, it was still a process. It was still very difficult for me. But I could see God's faithfulness in the midst of the process. And I want y'all to think about the word faithful faithful, full of faith, wonderful, full of wonder, joyful, full of joy. So when God says that he is faithful to you, he is saying he is full of faith in you. He's saying he has vision for your life. He's saying that the one who began the good work will bring it to completion. He is saying he will never leave you or forsake you. He will not abandon you. And you might think to yourself, well, Addison, why? Like, why would God have this much faith in me? Well, the reality is he has that much faith in you. Number one, he created you in his image. And number two, he has a lot of confidence in the work of his spirit. He knows what he is capable of as God. And he knows if you will only yield to him, he will do a work in you that is beyond anything that you could imagine. See, the only thing that God will not do for you, I want you to write this down. This is very important that you learn this today. I'm telling y'all. Only thing that God will not do for you, he will not kill you. You have to die to self. If he killed you, you'd be a robot, not a son or a daughter. He is in the business of radical, personal, familial transformation. So you have to take that step. He is not going to force you to believe these things. He's not gonna force you to believe that he has a vision for your life, that he is faithful to you, that he is good to you. That is something that you have to step into. And so now, four years removed from that situation, I see the evidence of his goodness. Now I am so thankful for what I went through. I would not be the person that I am today if I would not have gone through that Four years ago. And I realized something through this process. I realized that you really can't know the depths, the wonder, the beauty, the mystery of God's faithfulness until so you had reason to doubt it. You really can't. You can't understand just how good he is, how committed he is to you, how in love he is with you. So you've had reason to say, God, where are you? God, why have you forsaken me? God, what have I done to be rejected by you? And even when we are faithless, he is faithful. He is full of faith because he sees us as we are and as we will be. And he loves us everywhere in between. When it says in Ephesians 2 that we were seated with Christ in heavenly places, that is a statement of faith. And what it does is it merges the worlds of what will be and what is today. And it prepares us to start living in that reality, to start living in that promise. And when we see ourselves as that by the Spirit of God, we start to live like that. We start to act like that. We start to be patient with the world around us that needs to see God's patience and his faith animated in our lives. I'm telling you, all when you get a vision for the people in your world, the people you go to school with, your family members, your friends, coworkers, whatever... You start to treat them differently. You start to interact with them differently. You start to love them differently. But that can't happen without a vision. That can't happen with a picture of what God is moving them toward. And I would would challenge you, cry out to God for a vision, for conviction for the people that he's placed in your world. And you don't do this from a place of superiority, from a place that I'm better than you. You do it from a place of service. See, in the kingdom Status is always given for service and not significance. So when God gives you revelation that gives you a certain type of status, you use that for service, not significance. Not to validate your own false self. You do that to surrender to the transforming power and work of his spirit, which reveals your new
0: life in Christ. Amen. Let's just bow our heads together. You just make a confession to God that you trust him when you cannot see. We even take a minute will you thank him for loving you in ways you can't understand? will you just confess to God, I trust you though. I don't understand my circumstance. You're good. You're a good father to me. Father, we today is your people. we ask that you would open up the eyes of our heart to trust. Open up the eyes of our heart to believe that you really are a good father. And we trust in you. We love you today. We need you. We just confess our great need for you, God. Like our own human abilities and ambition and capacity fall so short, but yours is, your love, your faithfulness, your goodness astounds us. And just one last statement to God, would you just make this phrase just, God, I trust you. I'm yours. Maybe today you're here and you want to begin a journey with Jesus. And you've had a false view of God. And today, God is at work in your heart. He's opening up your eyes to see that he is faithful and he's good. And you want to begin a journey with Jesus today. And if that's you right where you're at, I want to invite you just to repeat this prayer. And this is just beginning the journey. It's just beginning this covenant relationship. I'm, I'm with God. The scripture says, for God so loved the world that he sent his one and only son that whosoever, that's you, would believe. He doesn't want you to perish. He wants you to have relationship with him forever. It starts now. And I wanna invite you just to pray this. Father, I come to you in the name of Jesus. I give you my life. Thank you for sending your son to die for me. Save me. Rescue me. Heal me. Change me. Have your way in my life. I will follow you. Be the Lord of my life. My faith is in you. In Jesus' name.